one. Oh my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. I personally think dating when you're young is really, really important. When I hear people get married to their first boyfriend or their first girlfriend, honestly, I, I cringe. And this is just my perspective. Uh, but really, my past relationships have been incredibly valuable. I learned a ton. And someday, my marriage will be better. When I'm older and married, my marriage will be better because of the relationships I've been in that failed. All the lumps I've taken, I'm 21. I'm probably going to continue to take a lot more lumps and have a lot of struggle in relationships. All that's valuable. It's really good. Point is, I'd rather learn all of my issues earlier in life than later. I don't want to be 35 and married and realize, oh, crap, I got this issue and all this issue, and I I don't want to deal with that. I want to get all my problems figured out or as many as I can now. I'm always going to have problems. I'm a flawed human. I'm stupid. But... I would love to learn as many lessons as I can now to make my marriage better someday. Again, the fear is you're 35, you got three kids, you got a mortgage, and you realize you have all these issues, and your marriage blows up. So that's why I think dating when you're young is incredibly important. It's practice. You learn all the issues you have earlier rather than later. So on Thursday night football, the New Orleans Saints lost to the Dallas Cowboys. And all my friends were shocked. They got so many messages. (gasps) How could you? Ah! Relax. I think this loss is really good for the New Orleans Saints. Just like my last relationship, blowing up and being horrible was good for my marriage someday. Going through struggle, learning these lessons now is good. Losing like the Saints did on Thursday was good for them. I think the Saints are still a Super Bowl favorite. But the loss to the Cowboys showed all of their flaws. But the good news is, rather than learn about their issues in the offensive line and all this other stuff, rather than learn about their issues later in the playoffs, the Saints learned about them on Thursday against the Cowboys. That's good. It's really good. That's like dating when you're a kid. You got their struggle. You're in eighth grade. Ah, it's painful. You're cheating your girlfriend in your senior year like I did, and it's miserable, and everyone hates you. Those are all lessons you got to learn. And the lessons the Saints can learn from Thursday night's loss to the Cowboys are invaluable. Now, for the Cowboys, this win was a huge deal. They're 7-5. and five. They have to stay at least a game ahead of the Eagles. They did uh, by winning uh, against the Saints. They're fighting really hard to make the playoffs and win their division. I believe the Cowboys are a playoff team. And against the Saints, honestly, the Cowboys finally played the way I expected them to play all year long. The Cowboys quarterback, Dak Prescott, was 24 for 28 passing. Ezekiel Elliott had 76 yards rushing. He also had a long screen pass for a touchdown. It was good. But here's what happened, and here's why the Dallas Cowboys and the way they won really impressed me. The Cowboys imposed their will on the New Orleans Saints. They said, we're going to play our brand of football. We're going to play great defense. We're going to run the ball. We're going to use play action. We're going to pound you into the ground, and that is what they did. They did not conform to the Saints. They said, the Saints, New Orleans, you're going to play our style of football. You're going to play our way. And they did. They won. And the way the Cowboys won is why it's so impressive. Great physical defensive football. And what would happen is that makes sense. It makes sense for the Cowboys to beat the Saints in snow, in rain, by running the ball, playing good defensive football. But that's not what happened. No, the, the Cowboys beat the Saints indoors. 
Normally, the Saints dominate under a dome. Normally, indoors, the Saints are going to dominate. They're going to kill you. And I would imagine that teams like the Seahawks and the Bears watched what happened on Thursday Night Football and felt incredibly encouraged to go, oh, we can play our way. We can play great defense. We can run the ball. We can use play action. We can still beat really good teams like the New Orleans Saints. That's what we all learned on Thursday. Honestly, let's be real. Later in the year, when it is snowy, when it is windy, who, how would you rather play? Like the Saints play, throwing the ball 50, 60 times a game, or being able to ground and pound, play really good defense? I'm confident the Cowboys could go into a place like, I don't know, uh, name any team, go into bad weather and win because they have the right style of defense and the right style of football team. I, I just I can't imagine the Saints... I would imagine the Seahawks and the Bears watched Thursday Night Football and felt incredibly encouraged. Here's another fact. The Cowboys' defense dominated. Drew Brees, the Saints quarterback, was 18 for 26 passing, had 127 yards, one touchdown, also a costly interception at the end. But even more notable than that was the Saints ran the ball for only 65 yards. It was a mismatch up front. And what's weird is the balance. I mean, I think the stat was going into this game, the Saints ran the ball 51% of the time on the road. They led the team in balance with rushing on the road in the NFL. It was a mismatch, though. The, the Cowboys' defensive line dominated up front. Dominated. A lot of guys. I was really impressed. It was fun to watch. And what's even weirder, though, is they didn't do a bunch of special stuff. They didn't do a bunch of exotic blitzes. They didn't do a bunch of weird twists. I mean, there were times on third down where the Cowboys would do what is called a stunt, which is where two defensive linemen will switch paths. They'll cross each other, making it harder for the offensive line to block them. But for the most part, the Cowboys just lined up and played better, more physical football. It was impressive. Largely, they used a four-man rush, and they didn't do anything crazy. Again, they physically dominated the Saints. The Cowboys' defensive line got a lot of pressure. The linebackers, credit to the Cowboys' linebackers, their pursuit was incredible. They were like heat-seeking missiles. They tackled the Saints incredibly well. I don't know that I counted a single missed tackle. Like Legitimately, it, it was flawless, flawless football. The Cowboys' defense looked bigger, faster, and stronger. But uh, I don't know. The Saints only gave up two sacks. Right? Drew Brees wasn't on the ground all game. But he constantly had pressure. He kept having to throw the ball a little before he was ready. He looked off rhythm slightly all game. He never quite looked comfortable the entire game. And that's why we saw what we saw. 13-10, Saints lost. The biggest surprise, though, was, again, that the Saints could not run the ball. This is the fewest yards the Saints have gained all year by a lot. Ten games this year, the Saints have scored at least, have, have gotten at least 300 yards. At least ten times this year. The Saints have had 300 yards or more. Usually it's four or 500 yards for the Saints offense. In week eight against the Vikings, the Saints won that game. They only scored, had 270 yards. But in this game, on Thursday Night Football against the Dallas Cowboys, the Saints were held to a total of 176 yards. Again, total offense. That's, that's ridiculous. So again, Saints defense dominated. The Cowboys defense dominated the Saints. And the Cowboys offense, credit them, they played well enough to win, but they're just not the story here. The story here was the way the Cowboys defense played. Something else matters, though. The Saints defense played pretty well. Cowboys defense dominated. 
the Saints defense held the Cowboys to 13 points. I mean, we can nickel and dime it. You can say, well, you know, the Cowboys did have the ball on the goal line at the end of the game and knelt three times and ended it. But regardless, the Saints played well enough to win on defense. The Saints offense, Drew Brees didn't come through. They did not handle pressure very well. Here's another thing that matters. This is a big game to the New Orleans Saints. I read Sean Payton's book. Sean Payton is the head coach of the New Orleans Saints. Uh, he's, a, he's a cool guy. He, he played, he was a replacement quarterback when the NFL went on strike a long time ago. Uh, but even more than that, he was also an assistant head coach with the Dallas Cowboys. In 2005, he was there. And he had to leave Dallas to go become the head coach of the New Orleans Saints. The key is, he did not get the head coaching position in New Orleans. Or in Dallas, excuse me. Sean Payton, an assistant, was not given the head coaching job in Dallas. He had to go to New Orleans. So every time Sean Payton plays the Dallas Cowboys, it's an emotional, meaningful game to him that he really wants to win. He wants to stick it to Jerry Jones, the guy who didn't want him. I think that emotion cost the New Orleans Saints. I mean, Sean Payton had two challenges in just the first half. I think on the second drive, he challenged that back shoulder catch it was very clear to me. They won the second one, but it was clear to me that this was an emotional game for Sean Payton. He also made a really, really big mistake, an emotional mistake. On fourth and goal, Sean Payton went for it instead of kicking a field goal. They didn't get it. Didn't get any points. It was a drive where the Cowboys fumbled. The Saints got the ball in great field position and were unable to capitalize. Got zero points off of the Dallas Cowboys turnover. That's Sean Payton's fault. That's emotion. That concerns me. Bill Belichick doesn't make that mistake. I know you got to take risks in life, but in a game like that, a very competitive, highly physical game, you kick the field goal. And clearly, Sean Payton let his emotions get the better of him. Would have been a chip shot field goal. There is like literally like a 10-yard field goal. And instead, the three points were the difference in the game. The Saints lost 13-10. to 10. Now, the question is, did the Saints choke? I got that response on my Instagram story. Someone said, I want you to talk about the Saints choking. <clears throat> no. I, again, I repeat, I really think this was a good loss for the New Orleans Saints. They played bad, and they learned a lot. It was pretty humbling. It showed the flaws they have up front, and this film, this tape from the football game, is going to be incredibly valuable. Again, from the Saints' perspective, this is a helpful win. It exposed all their issues. Kind of reminds me, too, of the way the Titans beat the Patriots a couple weeks ago. You know, recently, the, the Titans smashed the Patriots, and it was a surprise to me. And I don't know that any other team can duplicate the way the Titans beat the Patriots. I'm not confident that another team can duplicate the way the Cowboys beat the Saints. But if it ever, they ever fall into that situation, again, the Saints know how to deal with it. They'll watch the film from the Cowboys game. They'll learn a lot and be ready for that when it comes up again. Again, that's why dating when you're a kid is really important. You learn a bunch of lessons, how to deal with all these situations, so someday when you're married and have three kids, you know how to respond. That's what happened with the New Orleans Saints on Thursday. They ran into something they didn't know how to deal with. But next time they do, they'll watch the film, they'll have theories and ideas and have a better understanding of how to deal with that kind of pass rush. That is why the New Orleans Saints losing to the Dallas Cowboys on Thursday Night Football was incredibly valuable and really good for the Dallas for, excuse me, it was really good for the New Orleans Saints to lose the way they lost and learn the lessons they will learn from that loss. We have a great show. I'm so excited. First of all, I want to say I have a fun weekend ahead. Uh, it's Friday now, 
Saturday tomorrow, I'm driving home for the weekend. Got a, a cool secret meeting on Monday. I'm super excited. I'm going to drive home Monday night back to college. Uh, it'll be in Seattle. So I'm going Portland, Seattle, secret meeting, super fun. Back to Portland, then back to college. Flag football game Tuesday. We're going to win the championship game. Um, I'm so excited. Today's show is going to be fun. We're going to talk about USC football. USC looks like they're probably going to hire Cliff Kingsbury. What does that mean? Why? We'll talk in depth about that. I'm going to talk about how the win on Thursday impacts Dak Prescott. Does beating the Saints really help Dak Prescott? Why? Why not? What happened? We're going to do two fascinating games. We'll talk about why Aaron Rodgers is the problem in the Packers locker room. We'll talk about Reuben Foster. He got released and then domestic violence, all kinds of stuff. New update on that. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best most interesting clips. Help me grow by telling your friends about the show. I know I sound like a car salesman. I don't like doing this, but it does. Please, legitimately, it does help me if you subscribe and tell your friends and help me grow it. It means the world to me. This is my passion. It's my favorite thing in the world. Uh, so continue to help me grow by telling your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. So let's jump into USC. I was so excited when I heard this story. It has been reported that USC hired Cliff Kingsbury to be their new offensive coordinator. It's been reported. It has not been confirmed. We're still waiting on Cliff, Pink, Kling, uh, Cliff Kingsbury to accept the contract USC has offered him. It's not finalized. Apparently, I guess Cliff Kingsbury is still considering a couple offers from other college football teams and maybe in the NFL. And in case you don't know who Cliff Kingsbury is, he is the former Texas Tech offensive uh, excuse me head coach the former texas tech head coach he was just fired in uh in texas the other day literally he got sent out of lubbock texas got fired uh texas tech went five and seven and he was out it's interesting in six seasons at texas tech cliff kingsbury's record is 35 wins and 40 losses another thing if, if you heard the name cliff kingsbury before you might remember he formerly played quarterback at texas tech played for mike leach had a pretty good career there uh, when I heard the news, Cliff Kingsbury was going to USC to be the offensive coordinator. I was both surprised and incredibly excited. I was shocked. I was like, really? That's the choice he made. And then I was like, ooh, that would be really, really good. Here's why. Cliff Kingsbury is a great offensive mind. He's an innovator. He's a wonderful, wonderful offensive coach. He helps his players succeed because he's good at scheme and good at strategy. He knows how to put his players in a position to be successful. But again, when I learned that he was likely going to USC, I was surprised. I thought he might try to take another head coaching job in college or move up to the NFL to be an offensive coordinator. Uh, and, you know, frankly, I think Cliff Kingsbury's best fit is at USC. I, that's where I want Cliff Kingsbury. If I could pick a perfect scenario for Cliff Kingsbury, I would say go to USC. Here's why. And here's really the lesson you can learn from Cliff Kingsbury if he does indeed choose USC. If Cliff chooses USC, it shows that he has a lot of self-awareness. Both, actually, he has a lot of self-awareness and Clay Helton, the USC has head coach, would be showing a lot of self-awareness. There's a great book. Uh, my dad gave it to me a long time ago. It's called Now Discover Your Strengths. It's by Marcus Buckingham and Donald O. Clifton, PhD, little thing in the corner. There's a scenario in this book. It talks about if you're a regional sales manager, you, know, you have 10 guys working under you. Two of those 10 guys account for 80% of your sales. Two guys 
are most of your business. These two salesmen are dominating, and then the other eight are kind of useless. And the question is asked, if you want to expand your sales in this region, who do you talk to? Two guys or eight guys? It really surprised me. Studies show if you want to expand sales in your region, you work with the two guys. Invest in them. The Work with them. Develop those two-star employees. Don't worry about the eight. Grow the two-star employees. Grow your strengths. Another brief, exa- brief example I will make is uh, you know, Tom Brady, this legendary quarterback in the NFL, is slow as a dickens. Tom Brady can't run. And in contrast, Michael Vick can run incredibly. Michael Vick can make plays Tom Brady can't make. And running the football, is, you can say, well, that's part of Tom Brady's game that's lacking. Why can't Tom Brady run the football? Wouldn't it be better if he could run? Of course not. Running is one of Tom Brady's weaknesses. Tom Brady's never going to run for a bunch of yards. Tom Brady will never be the athlete Michael Vick is. It would be futile. It would be a waste of time if Tom Brady tried to learn how to run the football. All these juke moves and say, it'd be pointless. Instead, Tom Brady works on his strengths, getting better, slightly more accurate, better reading defenses. Work on the things that will actually help you if you get better. Here's my point. I'm not saying Cliff Kingsbury will never be a great head coach. He could develop, give him 10 years, who knows? But right now, Cliff Kingsbury is not a great head coach. Not in college, wouldn't be in the NFL. Cliff Kingsbury should play to his strengths. That is why Cliff Kingsbury should go to USC and work with Clay Helton. They would have a wonderful symbiotic relationship. Their strengths would complement each other. You know, it's uh, Clay Helton. He's a head coach at USC, and he is great at doing head coach stuff, head coach things, activities. He's great at recruiting. He's good at organizing. Guys love him. They fight hard for him. We saw that against Notre Dame at the end of the year. But the weakness that Clay Helton has is he's not great with strategy. He's a good leader. He's a good guy. He's won. He does all the head coaching crap and the paperwork and all the boring stuff. And then you got Cliff Kingsbury, who's great at strategy, but bad at the head coaching stuff. Not had great recruits. A poor recruiter. Probably not great at organizing. He's not so good at the head coaching stuff. Not good at running a team. When you combine the two, you got Clay Helton, great at running a team, does all the good head coaching stuff. Cliff Kingsbury, not great at all the head coaching stuff, but really good at the strategy part. They would have a great symbiotic relationship. Play to your strengths. In my last video about USC, I was very careful. I said USC needs to improve their offensive coaching. Whether Clay Helton is there or not, the offensive coaching at USC needs to change. This does that perfectly. If USC can pull it off and bring Clay Helton in, it's a wonderful move, obviously. But that's another big reason is, look, Cliff Kingsbury has never been able to work with top talent. He's never had the talent that USC has. USC has a great young quarterback, JT Daniels. They have Amon Ross St. Brown, a bunch of other really great skill players, explosive players. I mean, man, it's going to be fun. Clay Helton can recruit great guys. He can take care of all the boring head coaching stuff, organizing and calling people and doing all this stuff. Cliff Kingsbury can just focus on football and focus on strategy, putting those great players that Clay Helton recruits in situations to be highly successful with strategy. That is why Cliff Kingsbury should go to USC. I think, I think that's a match made in heaven and certainly would be a winning formula at USC. <clears throat> 
Okay, we have two really fascinating games coming up this week. Again, I'll repeat that. There are two really fascinating games this week in NFL Week 13. Uh, I call these snake charmer games. They're games that I just can't take my eyes off. Whether they're good matchups or not, whether we know who's going to win or not, I, I, I'm so fascinated by them, I can't wait to watch. The number one fascinating game this week is the Vikings, tra- the Vikings traveling to New England to play the Patriots. It's in New England. The weather's going to be fine, about 50 degrees, partly sunny. But here's why it's so fascinating. The Vikings are considered a really talented roster. Everyone says they're a great team, good defense, can run the ball, good receivers, yada, yada. And uh, in contrast, the Patriots, they're not as talented, but they have Tom Brady. And they have Bill Belichick. They have great coaching. I look at this matchup between the Vikings and the Patriots, and I think there's a chance the Patriots could absolutely crush the Vikings. Here's why. I want you to ask yourself. Do you think Kirk Cousins can beat Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and the detail-oriented Patriots? Again, remind you, if, if I can remind you, Kirk Cousins is a guy who a couple weeks ago threw the game ending pick six against the Bears. He's a guy that in Washington, when he played for the Redskins, the, ga- the clock was winding down. He knelt the football instead of clocking it. Instead of spiking it, Kirk Cousins took the snap and kneeled. Game over. That's the guy you think might be able to beat the Patriots on Sunday? I'm sorry. I, I don't buy it. I really don't. Maybe I'm wrong. It's going to be a fun matchup. I-, I, think, I hope it's a good game. I think there's a chance the Patriots could absolutely annihilate the Vikings because they're more detail-oriented. And I don't know that Kirk Cousins has ever played well in a big game. Name the big game that Kirk Cousins has really delivered and, and finished in the end. He played really well against the Rams earlier this year. That's the one example I can think of. Oh, but <laughs> the Vikings lost. It doesn't matter. So my point is this. Uh, it's going to be really fun. My best guess is the Patriots win regardless. That game is going to be a fantastic matchup. I hope you watch. I'll watch. I'll be there on Sunday doing absolutely nothing watching the Vikings play the Patriots in Foxborough. The second game of the week I'm really excited about came down to two games. It was either the Chicago Bears at the Giants or the Chargers at the Steelers. And yes, I think the Chargers and the Steelers is a far better matchup than the Giants and the Bears. But still, I'm so interested in the Bears going to New York to play the Giants. I think think the Bears are a playoff team. And I think the Bears should smack the Giants. They should absolutely beat the Giants. And on paper, Eli Manning, the Giants quarterback, should struggle against the Bears defense. The Bears are going to throw, hopefully, not hopefully, I'm not rooting for anybody, but you would think Khalil Mack and the Bears defensive line is going to really torment Eli Manning. So the Bears should win by a lot. That's a narrative everybody kind of expects. But I'm really curious, how does the Bears quarterback Mitch Trubisky play? How's he going to play? How's he going to play in this moment, on the road? In a gimme game, you should win. The only reason the Giants should win is if Mitch Trubisky plays terrible, has like six interceptions. That is a storyline to watch. That is why I'm curious to watch the Bears at the Giants on Sunday. How does Mitch Trubisky play in New York on the road? Potentially cold weather. It should be only 50 degrees. I was kind of disappointed when I found out there wasn't going to be heavy snow. But we'll find out. How does Mitch Trubisky play at New York this week? That's going to be a big... Because, again, the Bears should win by 20 points. Like, it should be a blowout. But we'll learn a lot about the Chicago Bears this week in New York. Those are my two most fascinating games. Again, the Vikings at the Patriots, the Bears at the Giants. Okay, before we go to break, I got one more thing I want to talk about. 
on Thursday Night Football, we all know the Saints lost to the Dallas Cowboys 13-10. to I think it was a big win for the Cowboys. It really helps the Cowboys' playoff push. And Dak Prescott, the Dallas Cowboys quarterback, had a great game. In fact, I should say it this way. The Cowboys beat the Saints. Dak Prescott was 24 for 28 passing, 248 yards, one touchdown, zero interceptions. Um, But my guess is, here's my guess, I am sure people, everybody probably overreacted to the way Dak Prescott played on Thursday Night Football. I was busy in classes. I go to college. I have no idea what happened in the media today. Uh, But in the media, people tend to overreact. And my guess is people were making all these vast proclamations. Dak Prescott is a bah, bah, bah. Who cares? Everybody, please relax. Yes, on Thursday Night Football, that was the best Dak Prescott has played in a long time, maybe ever. He had a great game. Completed 85% of his passes. It's notable, though, he also took seven sacks. I say took because there were times he could have thrown the ball away, and then if he throws the ball away, he's 24 for 33 instead of 24 for 28. Completion percentage would go down quite a bit. Still, good game, but please don't overreact. All that Dak Prescott did on Thursday was meet the expectation. He did not imp- he wasn't amazing, didn't have six touchdowns. I think, I think Mitch Trubisky's had a better game this year than Dak Prescott had on Thursday. Yes, it's a big win. He played good, good enough to win. But can we not overreact? All Dak Prescott did is the things he should have been doing all year. My opinion of Dak Prescott did not change after the Dallas Cowboys beat the New Orleans Saints. He's solid. I'd even pay Dak Prescott. I like Dak Prescott. I I would pay him the money. He says the right things. He looks good. He plays okay. But I would give Dak Prescott $16 to $18 million a year. No more than $18 million a year. He's not worth that. Because with Dak Prescott, you still, and I'd really be more comfortable paying Dak $15 million a year. We'll give you long contract, $15 million a year. How's that? But Dak Prescott still needs help to win. He needs a good roster around him. Not even Aaron Rodgers can win with a bad roster. So you don't expect to pay Dak Prescott $30 million like you paid Kirk Cousins and be able to bring in good players and win. No, Dak Prescott's not that type of quarterback. But if you sign Dak Prescott well, it's cheap. $15 million a couple years. Build a good team around Dak Prescott. That's a formula that could win the Super Bowl. I do believe that. But please do not overpay Dak Prescott. And don't overreact to the game he had on Thursday. He had one touchdown. A screen pass to Ezekiel Elliott. He also was pretty inaccurate at times. He missed a throw early in the game on third down. Uh, His his big touchdown pass, again, was a screen pass. He also had a, a play... Wide open to Michael Gallup down the right sideline. Totally missed. I could have made that throw. I played quarterback one year in college. I could have made that throw. I was like, Dak, what are you doing? I don't know. It's worth noting. Look, Dak Prescott also hit a deep ball down the left sideline. He had a good game, but he's still got a ways to go. And I would pay Dak Prescott like a guy who's still developing. He's not there yet. I wouldn't give Dak Prescott Kirk Cousins money. I, in fact, I wouldn't have given, I would not have given Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins money, so I'm definitely not giving Dak Prescott that kind of deal. I, If I'm the Dallas Cowboys, I max out Dak's contract at $18 million. No more than that. Um, and if he plays like the Saints, uh, like the way he did against the Saints, he can establish credit. Dak Prescott needs to continue to play at a high level. He needs to continue games like he had on Thursday. 
I'm in the process of trying to build my credit. What that means is, uh, you know, I got a credit card and I use it to buy some small things, gas, make little payments. And at the end of every month, I pay off my credit card bill. And that every time I do that helps me establish and eventually build credit. But my credit score is not high enough to get a home loan because I haven't earned the right. I haven't proven it with consistency. Dak Prescott has not consistently proven himself. He's got a long ways to go. I got a long way to go to establish my credit. Dak Prescott has a long way to go before I give him a giant contract worth a lot of money. 15 to $18 million a year. That, that's where I would go with Dak. I would, not, I would pay Dak Prescott a moderate amount because he's a moderately good quarterback who needs a lot of pieces around him to win. Again, I repeat, my opinion of Dak Prescott has not changed at all. After beating the New Orleans Saints, he needs to earn a lot. He needs to play more consistently. He needs to play the way he did on Thursday for a lot more games than just one if I'm going to pay Dak Prescott a lot of money. All right, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to talk about the Texas-Oklahoma game. It's a Big 12 championship. I'm really excited. We're going to talk about Aaron Rodgers, why Aaron Rodgers and how Aaron Rodgers is the problem in Green Bay. We're going to do pick six. We'll talk about the Steelers. And we're going to end the show on kind of a somber note. We'll talk about Kareem Hunt and Reuben Foster. Stories I don't like talking about, honestly. They're just, they're not sports stories. They're disappointing. They're sad. If you know what I'm talking about, you do. If you don't, we'll get to it later. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube, as well as my best, most interesting clips. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow by telling your friends about the show. My name is Ash Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Let's talk about the Big 12 championship game, college football. The Big 12 championship game is tomorrow. Well, for me, it's tomorrow. If you're listening on Saturday, it's today for you. For all I care, the game could be over. We're not really going to directly talk about the game. We're going to talk about the preparation for the game. So Texas is playing Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game. And to prepare for the game, to prepare for Oklahoma, Texas hired former Kansas coach David Beatty uh, as a consultant. David Beatty, Beatty, I don't care how you say his name, but he was just fired by Kansas earlier in November, and Texas brought him in as a consultant. Now, Oklahoma head coach Lincoln Riley said he did not like the precedent of it, said he's not a fan. And I completely disagree with Lincoln Riley. I love this. Texas is being really smart. They said, hey, David Beatty, you know some stuff about us that we may not know. You know our weaknesses. You played us. Do you know anything about Oklahoma? Let's bring you in. They brought him in as a consultant, said, do you know anything about Oklahoma? Do you know anything about us? Are there plays we run that are really obvious? Do we tip anything off? What are our flaws? Maybe you have a perspective we don't have. That is so good. I called my dad about this. I said, Dad, I, I think Lincoln Riley's wrong. This is stupid. I think, you know, Texas is trying to get an advantage. They're, they're being smart. They're innovating. That's how football works. And my dad said, Zach, it's not just how football works. That's how achievement works. And my dad was completely right. There is always more you can do to get better. The difference between Oklahoma and Texas's response to this is that Texas is hungry. They're looking for ways to get better. Because here's the thing. It's really easy to follow a formula. For strong opinion sports, I basically just follow the same formula. Well, the other day, I showed strong opinion sports to an English professor. 
And, and at first when I thought about, had this idea, I was like, oh, what does an English professor know about sports? And that's, I think, a lot of people might have that reaction. But really, this English professor, she was really helpful. She was very critical. Her feedback honestly kind of hurt my feelings. I was like, ah, oh, that, ooh, that stings. I don't like hearing that I suck. And she showed me why, for example, my analogy about Baker Mayfield was horrible. It's exact. You, you said this guy's a good leader, but you didn't explain why. You didn't give any examples. So I don't know whether Texas can beat Oklahoma or not, but I like the outside-the-box thinking. I try to do everything I can to make the show a little better every week. Uh, I went and talked to an English professor this week. She tore me down. She criticized me in good ways, though helpful ways, and I learned a lot. And that is what Texas did by bringing in the former Kansas head coach. You have an outside perspective we might not have. How can we use you? How can we learn from you? I am a fan of that. It's not a bad thing. I don't know why Oklahoma head, Oklahoma's head coach Lincoln Riley looks down at it, but I completely disagree with him. Texas was smart. They're hungry. They're trying to be innovative. And they thought outside the box. They're trying to gain an advantage. I like that. I respect that. And I will never look down on actions who try to find someone who tries to find another angle to get better within the rules. Because what they did was well within the rules. Texas did not cheat. They just did a smarter thing that Oklahoma probably should have done as well. Let's talk about the Packers. The Green Bay Packers are 4-6-1. And, one, and uh, they're screwed. Their season's over. And the reason, the main reason in my opinion, the main problem in Green Bay is their quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. More and more reports have come out recently. Again, reports, not opinion, factual reports coming out, uh, reporting of the dysfunction in Green Bay between Aaron Rodgers and their head coach, Mike McCarthy. The locker room's got a lot of turmoil, and, and these reports keep coming out over and over and over again. I want to make a statement. Aaron Rodgers is the problem with the Green Bay Packers for many reasons. First of all, everyone very quickly, when the Packers season started going downhill, very quickly, everybody turned their attention to Mike McCarthy, blaming Mike McCarthy, the head coach and play caller in Green Bay. <clears throat> and everyone says, you know, Mike McCarthy's play calling is not good enough. He, one article said, there's these isolation routes. You mean, you mean man beaters? That, that people keep saying, first of all, they made up this whole new rule, isolation routes. That doesn't mean anything. It's not basketball. So people writing the word isolation routes, they're stupid. The second thing is this, though. It's, it's pretty difficult to blame Mike McCarthy's play calling when Aaron Rodgers isn't even calling the plays that Mike McCarthy is calling. He's not even running them. Mike McCarthy will call a play, and Aaron Rodgers will either audible, or he simply won't run the play the way it's designed. He'll ad-lib, or run left, run right, run around, extend the play, throw the ball downfield. Aaron Rodgers is not even executing the offense Mike McCarthy is calling, so how can you blame Mike McCarthy? I don't know. We've also seen multiple times Aaron Rodgers has simply not he either he simply missed someone who's wide open. We saw uh, against the Vikings on third and two, Aaron Rodgers had a guy wide open in the flat, threw the ball into the dirt. Either Aaron Rodgers throws a bad throw and misses someone who's open, or he simply doesn't even see them. He has a guy open, doesn't even throw them the ball. It's like he doesn't read the offense properly, doesn't read the defense properly. It's it's ugly. We've learned that Aaron Rodgers is struggling with execution. Also, I want you to watch Aaron Rodgers. I want to ask you a question. I want you, sorry, I want you to watch Aaron Rodgers, asking yourself the question as well. Does Aaron Rodgers look happy when he plays football? He, we're going to see him play on Sunday. 
Does Aaron Rodgers look like look like he enjoys football? Does it look like he loves football? Because from my perspective, I mean, he's kind of becoming Jay Cutler. He gives all these looks, got an angry face. Uh, he never celebrates. He's just very. Uh, and, and it's one thing to be upset when you lose. It's another thing to always look angry. He's always, you know, it doesn't seem like his teammates like him. He's always glaring at his receivers. He'll give him a death stare when someone drops a pass or runs a route he doesn't quite understand or like. But here's the even worse problem. This is truly why Aaron Rodgers is the main problem in Green Bay. Mike McCarthy is going to get fired. He's done. The head coach, I I, I think he's a fine coach. He's going to be fired at the end of the year. And when Mike McCarthy is fired, Nobody is going to want to be the head coach for the Green Bay Packers. I know that's an absurd statement. You would think, well, of course. Who wouldn't want to coach Aaron Rodgers? He's a generational talent. Maybe the best talent we've seen at quarterback ever. But uh, why would an offensive coach want to call plays just so Aaron Rodgers can change them? Why, why? Why Why? would you do that? Aaron Rodgers isn't going to run the offense I call. He's going to be angry. He's going to have all these issues with me. He's going to glare at receivers. Why would anybody, especially, excuse me, an offensive coach, want to work with Aaron Rodgers? I wouldn't. Would you? I would. He's not coachable. I would rather work with Mitch Trubisky. At least Mitch Trubisky is going to listen to the things I say and run the plays that I call. Not to mention this. Aaron Rodgers is going to make millions in the years to come. Millions. The highest paid quarterback. Again, he just had to be the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. Ego coming to play. And my, my thought is, good luck. Good luck building a good roster around the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. You can't. Yes, the Packers have Aaron Rodgers. But he's also their biggest problem. He's cranky. He's not running the offense. That's the way it's called. He's glaring at receivers. He's paid way too much, too much to build a good roster. And he clearly can't win with an average roster. So you got to have a good roster to help Aaron Rodgers. The Packers are screwed. The biggest problem the Packers have is actually their quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. He's paid too much, even for him. He has a bad attitude, doesn't love football, doesn't work well with people, and I would not want to coach him. I would not want to work with Aaron Rodgers if I was a head coach. I know he's talented, but he doesn't listen. He's not coachable. Right now, the biggest problem the Packers have, as well as maybe the best player they have, is their quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. Okay. Uh, oh, by the way, here's another thing to add. This week, the Arizona Cardinals are going to Lambeau Field in Green Bay, Wisconsin, to play the Packers. And uh, it's going to be snowy, cold. The, pa- the Cardinals have a rookie quarterback. The Packers are going to crush the Cardinals. It's going to be meaningless. I guarantee you on Monday, after the Packers crush the Cardinals, everyone say, look, Aaron Rodgers, the Packers, it's all fine. Yeah, great. The bully beat up the tiny kid with glasses. That's meaningless. It's not a dominant win. The Packers could win by 40 on Sunday. I won't be impressed at all. It will not change anything I've just said. The Packers are going to crush the Cardinals on Sunday, and it's going to mean nothing. The Cardinals are in, the Packers are in trouble. The Packers' biggest problem is Aaron Rodgers. Even if he throws seven touchdowns on Sunday, I will continue to have that belief. Beating the Cardinals is meaningless. It means nothing. So, I, again, I, I repeat this one more time. The Packers... Biggest problem is their moody quarterback who's not coachable and he's far overpaid. 
Okay, let's do pick six. Uh, I do this every week. It's pick six. I pick six games of every NFL week. This is week 13 of the NFL, and there are six games I feel very strongly about. I want to start with the Vikings at the Patriots. The Patriots are going to win this game. I know the Vikings are talented. People are, ooh, the talented Vikings. Here's the problem. <laughs> the Viking quarterback is Kirk Cousins. Kirk. I don't think he can beat the Packers, the Patriots. You really think the guy who threw the game-losing interception two weeks ago against the Bears, the guy who kneeled the football at the end of the game rather than spiking it, who made that kind of mistake? Here's the thing. Kirk Cousins cannot beat the detail-oriented Patriots, let alone Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. The Patriots are going to win on Sunday and beat the Vikings. The second game I want to talk about is the Chargers at the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers are going to win this game. All week, the media has talked about you know, Big Ben did this, he said this and that. We'll get to that in a minute if you're listening to the show. But all week, people have said the Steelers, Ben Roethlisberger is a bad leader. I guarantee you that locker room who feeds off emotion is going to have a problem with these narratives. They're going to go out and make a statement against the L.A. Chargers. The Steelers are going to beat the Chargers. The third game I want to talk about is the Bears to the Giants. The Bears are going to beat the Giants. Uh, the prediction for the weather should be fine, and the Bears should win by a lot. In fact, I feel really bad for Eli Manning, the Giants quarterback, who's going to get pummeled into the ground by the Bears' defense. The only chance the Giants have of winning this game is if Mitch Trubisky, the Bears' quarterback, plays absolutely terrible. But right now, this is a mismatch. The Bears will dominate the Giants, should win fairly easily in New York. My fourth pick is that the Colts are going to go to Jacksonville and beat the Jaguars. The Colts are going to beat the Jaguars. Earlier this year, Jalen Ramsey, one of the Jaguars' corners, said Andrew Luck was, eh, it's fine. said he's overrated. Well, uh, in the years that Jalen Ramsey has been, he's not been there very long. He's like a third-year player, I think. In the years Jalen Ramsey's been in Jacksonville, he's never played a healthy Andrew Luck. And Andrew Luck, he's going to learn. Andrew Luck, since week four, has scored at least three touchdowns, often four. And I'm telling you, Jalen Ramsey's going to have a hard lesson. He's going to learn exactly how good Andrew Luck is on Sunday. The Colts will beat the Jaguars. The Browns and the Texans. This is a very interesting game. Uh, personally, I'm rooting for Baker Mayfield. I hope the Texans uh, I, I hope the Texans lose. I want the Browns to win. I like the Browns. But I think the Texans' pass rush is going to be really tough for Baker Mayfield to deal with. Now, there is an interesting matchup. Deshaun Watson, the Texans' quarterback, against the Browns' defense. The Browns are pretty good. Uh, but Baker Mayfield's done pretty well against bad defenses, I'm curious to see how he does against the Texans' defensive line. I think the Texans are going to beat the Browns on Sunday. Now, my final game is this. I'm going to take a chance. I'm excited. Uh, I, I don't do this. I usually pick a sure bet kind of games I feel good about. This is a game I'm going to take a chance on. The Ravens are going to go into Atlanta and beat the Falcons. I got a great reason behind this. The Falcons have the 25th ranked defense against the run in the NFL. They are not good against the run. They're banged up have a lot of injuries, and since starting Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens have the number one rushing offense in the NFL. Not only has do they run the ball really well when Lamar Jackson plays quarterback, he's also improved from week one to week two, and I think he could improve from week two to week three and play really well against the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, by the way, the Ravens have the number one ranked defense in the NFL. I think the Ravens are going to go into Atlanta, Georgia, and beat the Falcons on their own turf. The Ravens are going to beat the Falcons. Again, my pick six are the Colts are going to beat the Jaguars. 
The Browns are going to lose to the Texans. The Texans will beat the Browns. The Ravens will beat the Falcons. The Patriots will beat the Vikings. The Steelers will beat the Chargers. And the Bears will beat the Giants in New York. This has been Pick 6. Thank you so very much. Okay, uh, two things left I want to talk about. Two, kind of three. Um, first of all, this is a really slow week in sports. This was a really, really slow week in sports. And uh, I have good news for you. Strong opinion sports, I do whatever I want. I don't have a quota to fill. I don't have three hours to fill every day. I, don't, I do whatever I want. If I, have, if I, I talk about whatever I have to say, and I end the show. I have the freedom to, if my show is 30 minutes, we're done. There's nothing more to talk about this week. But other places have time to fill. And uh, <laughs> they decided to focus all their attention on the Pittsburgh Steelers this week. It's stupid. It's ridiculous. It's like there's, there's not a story here. Here's what they're talking about. After losing to the Broncos, Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback Ben Roethlisberger was somewhat critical of his teammates. I, honestly, I, don't, I think people are overblowing it. He made normal talk, conversational talk. But here's what Ben Roethlisberger said about his teammates. First, he talked about rookie wide receiver James Washington, who dropped a pass against the Broncos. He said he's a rookie, but he can't be out there if you're not going to be making plays of those plays for us. He basically said, you got to make plays when you're in the game. You can't have drops like James Washington had a would-be touchdown that he dropped. Now, that's fair. That's a fair assessment. Now, the other thing he said, he was talking about an interception he threw at the end of the game, and the route was undercut. Antonio Brown was running a slant in the end zone, and he gave up ground and allowed a defender to undercut him. Ben said, yeah, you can't, can't let a defender undercut you. And then he went on to say, he should have thrown the ball to Juju Smith-Schuster four straight plays in a row. By this point, the media was freaking out. Oh, it's a big deal! Ben Roethlisberger! He's not a good leader! Be quiet. It's, it's annoying. This has completely blown up. All these quotes he said. He said the Juju Smith-Schuster thing. He said that Antonio Brown can't let a defender cut it, undercut him. He said James Washington needs to play better and catch those passes. This should not be blowing up. These are not controversial things. People are acting like it is. The truth is, it's just a really slow news week. These are not compelling storylines. These are just a guy, Ben Roethlisberger, talking about football, being honest, saying the truth, that you can't let a defender undercut you. You got to catch that pass. We should have gone to Juju Smith-Schuster because guess what? He had the best matchup. The Denver Broncos put their best corner on Antonio Brown. The other guy was covering Juju Smith-Schuster. That's a great matchup. You should have thrown the ball to him over and over again. Ben was right. He didn't say super crazy controversial things. And Ben Roethlisberger is not a bad teammate. Everyone's saying Ben Roethlisberger uh, publicly calling out his teammates. Stop. Ben Roethlisberger is the leader of the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's been the leader for years. You think suddenly, and oh yeah, year 17, whatever year it is for Big Ben, suddenly Big Ben is a bad leader. Be quiet. Big Ben said one thing. The media found a way to freak out about it and made it a big deal. Big Ben said this, media freaked out. Meanwhile, the Steelers' locker room's like, so what? It's fine. It's not a big deal. <laughs> we, yeah. Big Ben talked about football. Oh, no. He said, I need to catch the ball. It's not a big deal. The Steelers' locker room's not freaking out. Big Ben's not freaking out. The only people freaking out about anything Big Ben has said have been the media. It's stupid. It's really annoying. It's not a big deal. I know it's a slow news week. That's why Baker Mayfield and Hugh Jackson, that story's been hanging around for so long. Like, it's over a week ago now. People are still talking about Baker Mayfield and Hugh Jackson. Stop. Please stop. 
I, I know you got to fill time, but you're just making something out of nothing. The truth is, the Big Ben stuff, they're meaningless quotes. They're not a big deal. Big Ben's not a bad leader. He's not throwing his teammates under the bus. I think people are, they're not meaning to divide the Steelers' locker room. That's kind of what their, their attempt is, I guess. They're just trying to create stories. I understand it. You got to make money. But what Big Ben said about his teammates was not a big deal. Not even really. It, I guess it's newsworthy if people pay attention and click on it. But Jesus, man, you're you're far overblowing everything Big Ben has said. And uh, I do not think he's a bad teammate. That that narrative running around is like, really? Please, please stop. Just, ugh. I don't know. I'm so glad I don't have a boss. I can do whatever I want. I can, my, again, if my show is 10 minutes, it's 10 minutes. Move on. Figure out what to do with your life. And I feel bad for people who are stuck locked into filling quotas every week. That just would not, not be enjoyable to me at all. Now, before I get into uh, the hard story, the one that's going to be really sad and uh, hard to talk about, I want to make a prediction. So the University of Washington just beat Washington State pretty badly in the Apple Cup. They won 28-15, to 15, and I want to make a prediction now. They're going to win a lot in the next couple of years. They're going to win in at least the next two years. UW is going to beat Washington State in the Apple Cup. Here's why. Jacob Eason is coming. You ever heard the quote from Game of Thrones? Winter's coming. It's a lot of people make that joke. Jacob Eason is coming to the Washington Huskies. He's going to be the next quarterback. God, there's a good joke in there. Um, here's the thing. Jacob Eason is a transfer from Georgia. And when you watch Jacob Eason throw the football, it's different. He just looks like a different guy. He reminds me of Patrick Mahomes. His arm strength is unbelievable. His accuracy is there. And I think he's potentially the future best quarterback in college football. And so I don't think people really realize Jacob Eason is going to be the man for the Huskies in Seattle. And, uh, man, I, I really think that's going to be a lopsided. I mean, it's already been lopsided so far in the last couple of years between Washington and Washington State. It's going to get worse the next two years with Jacob Eason in Seattle. Um, I, I just realized why we shouldn't say Jacob Eason is coming. If you know the joke, you know the joke. Um, but seriously, UW's going to crush Washington State in the next couple of years, and Jacob Eason will be a star at the University of Washington. So, <sighs> dang it. Got to talk about this next. Um, it's going to suck. Uh, and now these are stories I don't like talking about at all. Guess we got to do it, though. You guys have asked me. Look, I, again, I... I don't like talking about what I'm going to talk about next, but you guys have really asked for me to talk about it, to comment on it, so I, 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 I give you guys what you want. On Saturday night, Reuben Foster was arrested for misdemeanor domestic violence. And uh, you know he was with the team in Tampa Bay, Florida, uh, at the team hotel room. And immediately, Sunday morning, so the 49ers have a game on Sunday afternoon, before the game even starts. The 49ers announced they were releasing Reuben Foster immediately. And uh, God, I, I really I really do hate stories like this. It's not fun. These aren't sports stories. They suck. They make me sad. Domestic violence is terrible. I, I don't like this is a sports show. And truly, this is a domestic violence story, not a sports story. It's depressing and it sucks. Um, but the 49ers did the right thing. The 49ers cut ties with Reuben Foster immediately. Didn't even wait till the game was over. You know, the press release doesn't come into effect until Monday. Said, we don't care. We are announcing immediately, Reuben Foster, we're done. And what the 49ers did when they released Reuben Foster is they showed tremendous character. I, I, I respect that. Didn't wait right to the point. 
If you remember earlier in this year, Ruben Foster had a two-game suspension because he was arrested earlier in the year uh, for domestic violence. This is now the second time Ruben Foster was arrested for domestic violence and the third time he's been arrested in the last calendar year. But I don't know. Um, you know, I, I, I really am glad the 49ers released Reuben Foster. What they did was after he was arrested the first time, after he had a two-game suspension, got in trouble before, the 49ers said, here is the expectation. You must behave. And sadly, you know, Reuben Foster couldn't do it. Reuben Foster is a really, really good football player who simply cannot behave off the field. It's sad. Like, I, I really, he's a good football player. It's, it's very sad that he's no longer uh, on the 49ers. It, it hurts them, but that's why I respect it. I mean, the 49ers cut a former first-round linebacker. First-round pick? Again, that shows character. They said, we care more about this issue than we do about this player. Uh, we've given him chances, and I don't mean to be harsh, but how many people do you know that have been arrested for domestic violence? You might know a guy who's been arrested once. Do you know anybody who's been arrested twice in like in the span of like six months? Dude, what are you doing? Ruben Foster, figure it out. I have no compassion for you. You screwed up big time, multiple times. I don't know. Um, it's man, Ruben Foster got a lot of chances and he, he didn't learn. And so I, I really am. I'm supportive of the 49ers doing something that hurts their football team, right? Losing a player doesn't help you. It, it hurts your roster, but morally it's the right thing to do to release a guy who keeps getting in trouble for domestic violence. Now, uh, we're going to stay on the dark tune because today a video of Kareem Hunt kicking a woman was put on YouTube by TMZ. <sighs> uh, it's an incident from February. Kareem Hunt kicked a woman. It's pretty. I haven't even watched the video. I, I just that sound. I don't want to watch it. That sounds awful. Um, and the Chiefs released him. You should know. I mean, if my dad, for example, I called my dad about this. Like, Dad, how would you how would you cover this? What do you think? And um, my dad had no idea who Cream Hunt was. Like, Zach, I can't help you. I don't even know who Cream Hunt was. If you say Cream, I think Cream Abdul Jabbar. So I had to tell my dad. You know, Cream Hunt is a top three athlete in the NFL. You put the ball in Cream Hunt's hands. And he's he's special. I mean, he's he's unbelievable as a football player. And he, he made a big mistake. And instantly, today, the same day the video was released, the Chiefs cut him. They said, we're done. Ended all ties. Um, and again, it's another example of the Chiefs were showing character. The 49ers showed tremendous character when they cut ties with Reuben Foster. And the Chiefs did the same thing. They said, we have character. We're going to cut Green Hunt. Uh, at their own cost, they cut a good football player who really uh, helps them win a lot of games. You know, I, I did a recent video where I said these five teams are going to win this. One of these five teams will win the Super Bowl. I kept referring to the Chiefs have great athletes, and Kareem Hunt is one of those great athletes, but the Chiefs have character. I respect what they did when they released Kareem Hunt today. Now, here's another thing worth noting. A team did claim Reuben Foster off of the waiver wire. The Redskins. Now, I don't want to talk much about that, but what I will say is this. You'll get what I mean in a minute. When the 49ers cut Reuben Foster, they showed tremendous character. You know, they gave him kind of a second chance, or the 49ers gave him a second chance. But they didn't give him a third chance. And I think it's weird. I understand giving someone a second chance when they screw up. But I don't understand 
anybody giving someone a third chance, especially when it's their second time being arrested for domestic violence. That is something I simply do not understand. And so that's, I don't want to talk about the Redskins, but what I will say again is if you catch my drift, when the 49ers cut Reuben Foster, that was the right thing to do. They showed tremendous character. When the Chiefs cut Kareem Hunt today, they showed tremendous character. Take what you want with that if you're a Redskins fan. All right, guys. Uh, the dark stuff is over. I don't, dude, I hate, I really hate talking about, I don't like this. This is sad. It's new, newsworthy. We got to talk about it. My DMs are blowing up. I got like six messages today about Kareem Hunt. I got 13 in the last two days about, you know, Reuben Foster. People are like, why aren't you talking about Reuben Foster? Because I don't like it. I don't like talking about these stories. They're sad. They're disappointing. I don't feel good about them, but it's, I, I, it's the NFL, I guess. I don't know. It's, um, I, I'm glad. Look, the Chiefs cut Reuben Foster. Cut Kareem Hunt. Good. And the Redskins, sorry, the, the 49ers cut Reuben Foster. That was the right move. Um, and I think separating ties to people who, you know, commit domestic violence and are arrested for domestic violence, uh, that's that's the right move. So, uh, again, not stories I like talking about. I'm probably lingering too long. But I was I was just, as a, as a fan of football today, I was like, dang it. Like, why? Why does that have to happen? You know, bring Bring the NFL's name down a little bit. And uh, really, these are good football players. That I, I wish the best as people. I, I don't want Cream Hunt to have a horrible life and be broke the rest of his life and be miserable. I, I, I wish they figure it out, and I hope you know they never make the mistakes they've made again. I don't. I don't wish bad on them, but I, I do think that the teams that released them made the right moves. And so, um, I think I can say what they did was wrong, and what they did was really bad. And I hope no one ever does it again. Uh, and um, and still, you know. I can say I wish them well and say I don't condone their actions. I do I do legitimately. I hope Ruben Foster figures it out, and I hope that uh, Kareem Hunt can figure it out and turn their lives around because those actions are not acceptable. All right, guys, uh, that's it. That's Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Jesus, that went on way too long. That uh, Domestic violence. I don't I just hate talking about that stuff. It just sucks. It's just really sad and, and crappy. You know, People I know have been victims of domestic violence, and... Uh, it's not cool. Not awesome. So, again, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. We'll be back on Tuesday. Um, and uh, around Christmas time, if you're curious about basketball, my belief is you start talking about baseball in October unless Bryce Harper gets into a, a fight. If Bryce Harper throws his helmet at a pitcher's mound, I love that. I'll talk about that. Um, but otherwise, no, we're not going to talk about baseball till October. And you don't talk about basketball until Christmas. I know that the Raptors just beat this, the Warriors. I don't care. You know, it's, we're too early in the year for any of that to have any impact. So um, until Christmas time, we're not really going to talk about basketball. Football is where my mind is. We're going to talk about that until probably like December, whatever the first Tuesday is after December 15th, we'll start talking about basketball. So guys, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Hope you have a great day. But um bum bam, we are done. Bye.